Hey, I'm Jodie, event manager, business owner, educator, and podcast host. I'm an introverted homebody, wannabe wine master, and I truly believe in the power of events to inspire, delight, and ignite human potential. Every week, I take you backstage into the wonderful world of business events and give you the insider scoop on how to take your events to the next level. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional custodians of the lands where we live, learn and listen. Let's get into it. So I met Stuart Frank in a Facebook group for event professionals and he immediately resonated with me because he was like, whether you do events for 10 people or 10,000 people, there are parallels and it's so true. The fundamentals are the same. So today I've brought Stuart on the podcast to share his behind the scenes expertise running massive tech events. We've all seen those huge scale events that tech companies put on. And whilst I may not be in that world and you might be like, hey, I'm just over here planning a dinner for 20 board members or a cocktail event for 40 clients. There are absolutely parallels and Stuart's experience is so vast and deep. So I know you're going to get some nuggets of wisdom out of what he so generously shares today. Stuart brings nearly three decades of expertise as an event production and marketing professional, specializing in both B2B and B2C events across the Asia Pacific. He'll share more about his experience and what he's learned along the way, and most importantly, what he would recommend to you, regardless of the size of your events. So let's get into it. Well, Stuart, welcome to the Events Insider podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So can you share a little about your career journey for anyone that doesn't know you? Um, what's your journey into events and what do you currently do now? Certainly can. Um, it's a long one and I'm probably going to age myself here. Um, but I've been in this game in some way, shape or form for almost 30 years now. So it all started back in, in the 90s um, whilst I was working in admin roles, you know, Monday to Friday during the week. I used to put on dance parties or raves on the weekends um, with a couple of mates and I, and I loved doing that. We we had up to thousands of attendees um, in warehouses, in clubs, in venues, even outdoor in a scout park. And it was at one of these events early in the morning. Um, we were on stage. We had thousands of people sort of going off in front of us. And I'm like, I had a moment where I thought, how can I turn this into a real job? Because it was a spare time thing. Yep. So that really set me on a path to um, try and work out how does that become a nine to five Monday to Friday thing? Not that it's really nine to five, but I <laughs> love creating that experience. So I kind of started that pathway then. And then 1998 was when I started my first full time event role yep. as an event coordinator within an association. Okay, cool. So from there, I went from association to PCO to event agency to experiential agency and freelance. And then in 2006, I switched from agency side to in-house. So in-house within tech companies, that was a passion of mine and, and something one of my former bosses, David Addison, um, had directed me. He's like, if you are passionate about an industry, go and chase it. And for tech, for me, tech, that was it. So now uh, I'm Senior Director, Strategic Experiences Asia Pacific for Salesforce. We're a global software company headquartered out of the US. And I just celebrated a couple of weeks ago my ninth anniversary here. Wow. So you've literally done every type of like 
event work that there is. <laughs> yes, from and both sides of the fence, which I think has been a, a very valuable asset in my career. I get what I put agencies through. The agencies know I understand what they do. So that that relationship's been fantastic. But yes, I've done really, really limited budget, really small things through to, to what I do now, which is big. Um, it's regional and yeah, everything in between. So yeah. stuffing badges through to uh, doing interviews that go online on, on broadcasts and on podcasts like this. Yeah. And so that was a really long job title that you said there. Um, but I do think everyone has heard of Salesforce. Um, so talk us through like what that role actually is and the kind of events that you do. There's a lot to it. But in essence, I lead our large programs throughout the Asia Pacific region. So that includes Salesforce World Tour Sydney, which is our marquee event, the biggest program I run through the year, through the region, uh, with 10,000 people. And I'll talk probably more about that one. We then have a cut-down version of that. We take that on the road. We call that World Tour Essentials, deliver that in India, in Singapore, and also in Melbourne. Then we have our on-the-ground programs at our large global events. So Dreamforce is our humongous customer conference in San Francisco every year, 50,000 people. And, and I deliver the Asia Pacific program for everyone who's traveling from this region there. That's the core of my role, but I also get involved in all sorts of other events that we deliver, maybe third-party sponsorships, executive programs, our involvement in the F1 down in Melbourne, which I love, I'm a huge F1 fan. Um, but we also have a large contingent of marketing teams in Asia, in India and Australia, New Zealand, and they deliver a lot of events. So I do some consultation on those, but I really focus on those large Salesforce-led programs. Yeah, awesome. And I mean, it sounds so glamorous and I'm sure there are elements of it that are amazing, but we all know that, um, you know, event work is also you know, not so glamorous at times. But I think for me and for anyone listening who's like, wow, that's massive, that's not what I do. You know, we were chatting before that whether an event is for 10 people or 10,000 people, there are so many parallels and you're essentially doing the same thing but at a scale. So can you talk us through what you think, I guess, some of the fundamentals are that don't change? Definitely. Now, touching on the the, the glamour side, <laughs> uh, yeah, events are 95% hard work. 95% spreadsheets and, and long hours and, and um, project management. And then there is the fun. There is the end result. That's what I love about events is you have a ramp, you have a pre-production period, and you, you deliver something you get to see come to life. And it could be 10 or 10,000 people, but it is an end product. Not everyone has that in their careers. That's that's one of the key things for me. Um, but, yeah, with ten or 10,000, the fundamental for me is think about your audience. So who are they? Why are they there? What do you want them to do? So if you're not designing for them, for who is in the room and the outcomes you want to achieve, you run the risk of not delivering on either. Their expectations in turning up to your event, you don't want to fall down on those. Um, and then you have outcomes. You have your business outcomes whether that is about relationships, whether it is about sales, you have to kind of have that balance in check 
keeping an eye on both and really delivering for them. Ultimately, it's really basic. You need to seat them. You need to feed them. You need to deliver content, whatever form that takes. And in most instances, you need to entertain them in some way. Again, 10 or 10,000, you need to do those things. The other one around that scale of 10 to 10,000, whatever that scale is, planning is critical. You need to go into it informed, planned, thinking about the scenarios. And sometimes a room full of 10 people can be just as powerful as thousands. So really having that plan in place, knowing what you are doing um, with them at all times is is really, really critical. 100%. And I think the benefit of sometimes small events is that you can be more personalised in what you deliver, which can be, Mm -hmm. as you say, really powerful, which I love. With the kind of events that you do all throughout your career, what do you find the most challenging about either planning or executing an event? There are challenges every day and some are big, some are small. But again, it's one of the elements that's kept me in this industry for a long, long time. There are constant challenges and requirements for you to overcome them. I think, and I've said this to to many people, the day that I walk out of an event saying that was perfect is the day I need to walk away. So for me, the biggest challenges, and there's a few of them, number one is innovation. Innovation is really hard. It is talked about constantly, but doing it is difficult. It's all about what's new and different and how do you create those surprise and delight moments How do you make the event different to the last one? But good different, not just different for the sake of being different. You want it to be different for a reason. So innovation takes focus. You need to make the time. You need to make the space to innovate. So give yourself time to ideate and really re-look at things. Not always something that's easy to do in the work that we do. Whether that is, and I, I have worked in admin and marketing assistant roles through to every kind of event role, Um, carving out some time to go on Blue Sky, I think, not easy to do. It is very, very important. And then when those ideas come, get them from all corners, get them from within your organisation, from outside, and try new things. It's okay to to fail occasionally. Um, You know, failing, failing right and failing for good reasons, um, sometimes is what you need to do to take it to the next level. You want to make sure that that is few and far between, but it is okay. Now, for me uh, and the the event sector as a whole, COVID drove an absolute explosion of innovation. I'm really proud that we led the charge when the you know the pivot. To virtual, I have the pivot T-shirt. I kid you not. Um, but on the sixteenth of February, twenty twenty, we had a call with our headquarters, our legal teams, our health and safety teams, and we made two decisions that day. One was to cancel the physical experience we had planned for World Tour, which was to be on the fourth of March. Wow. The second decision we made that day was we were going to honour the commitment our customers had made to us in registering for the event and we were going to deliver it virtually on the 4th of March. So that's 10 business days. I told this <laughs> yeah. story a few times. Um, but 
bear in mind, back in February 2020, Zoom wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. All the virtual platforms we've all come to know and love mostly weren't a thing. So at 10 business days, we innovated like crazy. We were pushing tools and platforms that weren't necessarily built for what we wanted to do um, to all levels. And also our suppliers, we took them on a journey. They came on that journey with us in the way that none of us had done before. This was broadcast. We went live on the 4th of March. We had 11 studios at ICC Sydney, which is where the event was going to be, and we we pivoted that. We broadcasted all day across those channels, and 85,000 people tuned in. Yeah, wow. So that's that was innovation um, at a very, very rapid pace. Then 2020 to 2022, we trialled virtual formats and platforms. Habits changed. Lockdowns, you know, people had no choice but to tune in. Once that started to lift, they behaved differently. Hybrid was a thing for a hot minute. Then it was more lockdown, so we kept on pivoting and um, and developed that muscle. Then we came back in person. We had to do that differently. So 2022, we brought World Tour back safely. We had rapid testing protocols for every person that came through the doors of our tenancy at ICC for about a week. So the 5,500 people tested before they could enter. That included critical event crew, and we lost a few during that. I lost my main vision operator for the keynote the morning of the keynote. Oh, dear. Um, But it was another innovation. We ran a safe event in a climate that it was still a risk. So not one I want to repeat, um, but that was the reality of what we had to do to bring people together safely. So they entrust us with their safety, and we take that really seriously. So there's a lot of a lot of kind of challenge there. Um, the next one for me, and a big, big part of my job, is stakeholder management. And um, I know again, there's a lot of lot of EAs and admins listening who are already doing a lot of stakeholder management. Um, for me, World Tour is a program that has a huge number of stakeholders. Internally, we have people in executive level positions in headquarters in the states around the world, our local teams our sales teams, externally, a massive supplier family that deliver our program. They all require different stakeholder techniques, and it's really crucial to be able to juggle those different personalities and working styles for the success of the program itself. So that's a case of managing up and managing down. Whichever way you want to look at that, if you're dealing with C-level executives and then through to suppliers and crew on site, you moderate your communication style. I also uh, engage heavily with our internal EA community a lot. We have visitors coming in from from the States who are here with us for a couple of days, and we we need to navigate their calendars. and, And the EA army we have is a hugely powerful asset. So, yeah, stakeholder management is is really, really big. Yeah, awesome. I love what you were talking about there with all the um, challenges through COVID and, you know, not to go back to COVID, but I think, I think the lesson for me there was um, that when you do try something new, I think there is a bit of grace from people because they understand yep. that you're trying something new and they appreciate the innovation. So I think there is a little bit of grace when you are trying something new, but I think like you also said, there's a lot of learning that comes out of it. 
So what do you think are some of, I guess, the biggest lessons that you've learned over your career? Early COVID, yes, people were forgiving. So World Tour, when when we did it, we had a mashup of tools. There were our own tools, so Salesforce tools. We had IBM as our streaming platform. We had a community. It was like a four-tab browser experience on the day, not the unified single platform that you have today. And people were forgiving. They became less forgiving over time as it all developed. But for me, some core lessons, and this is, as I mentioned at the top, 30 odd years. Now, there's all sorts of event skills, but for me, big lessons, be reliable. So do what you say you are going to do. If there's an action and you have to do something by a deadline, make sure you do it or call it out as a risk, as something that may not happen. Rather than staying quiet and being being scared to speak up, you really need to be um be reliable, be consistent in that. Trust yourself. So trust your experience and trust your gut. If it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. So again, speak up. And if that means speaking up to your executive or your leadership team, do it because going back later on because it wasn't right and you, your gut was right is difficult. In I think that extends to suppliers and venues as well. That's something that I really lean into if I'm dealing with a new supplier or a venue. I think your Mm -hmm. gut can tell you a lot about, you know, if you feel like something's a bit off, then maybe you should be going with someone else. It's, It's very, very true. I think the reality is your suppliers, and in in my career, the best supplier relationships are partnerships built on mutual trust. I, I like to get to a point with a with an agency where they are comfortable to say to me, that's a bad idea. This doesn't feel right. And I'll respect that. So it is it is really, really important that if it really feels a bit funky, um, question it. Dig deep. And it may be that that's not the supplier or there's something else. But once you start probing, you'll probably find some answers. Um the next big lesson is check, check again, double check it. Uh, in events, I don't think you can be too prepared. However, don't delve into analysis paralysis. So yes, be detailed, cross-check everything and and use others. But if you get hung up on really triple checking, quadruple checking, and you're not getting other things done, then you start to compromise other elements of, of a program. And also mentioned before, think of your audience. Put yourself in their shoes. Try and get to know them. What makes them tick? But really think about designing for who's in the room, not for internal needs or ease of producing an event. Yeah, I love that. And it's always good to reflect on, yeah, things we've done um, so that we can always be getting better and the lessons we've learnt. I'm curious if there's anything that you've done before that you would never do again. (laughs) <laughs> um, looking back, so debriefing, critical thing to do. Uh, looking back at what you've done and learning from it and documenting it, because if you're working on an annual event, it's easy to forget what you what you should have learned last time. Um, but is there anything that I've done that I wouldn't do again? Not really. I've had some very hairy moments. Um, <laughs> Probably outside your control, though. Mostly. 
uh, everything's worth doing once as long as you assess the risks. So should you plan an outdoor piano set on the edge of Sydney Harbour in a high likelihood of electrical storms um, evening? Sure. Because that led to a really great plan B scenario where it was even more intimate and special because we had to move everyone undercover and the piano and the musician. Um, so yeah, what I do that again? Maybe not, but it was cool. Uh, I had a conference. This was over 20 years ago. I think it was around the year 2000. Um, we had a conference scheduled in Broome in cyclone season. Um, so we were tracking a cyclone that was approaching the coast. It um, it did make landfall. What we had was a mad scramble to contact every single delegate. And again, 23 years ago, so mobiles weren't quite as easy then as they are now. Um, we had to contact everyone, redirect them to change the travel to Sydney. We had to find a venue in Sydney and reschedule the whole program to be delivered in Sydney, which we did. And only two people landed in Broome, and they wanted to help out the the locals anyway. So that was um, that was one I wouldn't do again. Again, amazing. Then the last one, obviously, is what we did with World Tour in twenty twenty. We rebranded that as World Tour Reimagined. Ten business days to to pivot from physical to virtual. You wouldn't ever do that again, but it led to some of the proudest moments of my career. So yes, would I do these things again? Maybe. Um, would I never do them again? No, because it is through hard times that innovation comes to the fore. You pivot, you react, you stay calm, which is a critical skill in, in any event lead, um, but it's worth trying because sometimes out of, you know, you get um, the best results out of difficult situations. I think sometimes I hear these stories and I think, Oh, I'm happy with the events I do, <laughs> not having to deal with the chaos. I mean, I've definitely had my challenges over the years as well. But, yeah, gosh, no, thank you. I'll stick to the events I do. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious because, you know, you run similar events every year, which is which is which can be a good thing and a bad thing, but I think a lot of our listeners are in a similar boat. They run, you know, an annual event. So when it comes to that, I mean, how do you keep it interesting and a bit different what do you keep the same versus how much do you change up i'm curious on your thoughts on that we do like to change it up okay now the challenge we have is the core elements of world tour are largely the same year on year we have a big keynote that's four thousand people flat floor in the round we have an exhibition with our products showcased our partner so our sponsor ecosystem we have our breakout sessions so all those things turn up every year yep but every year we look at it with fresh eyes so we don't start with last year's expo floor plan we start a new one um, we debrief heavily every year and we look back at that when we commence the planning process that is a combination of um, a deck or a document with Items, what you know, what we lacked, what we loved, what we longed for. Uh, sorry, loved, liked, longed for. Um, I love that. I'm stealing that. It's it's a really simple way of debriefing because it just prompts people. So we've got a large group of people that need to contribute to that, and it's just turned into a, a structure that works really well for for doing that. And then there's about a ninety minute meeting where we we go through that top to tail. 
we break it all down and then we build it back up with those learnings from the previous year, fresh eyes for this year. And then for me, particularly that constant view of what the attendee experience is and how we can improve on that. So that's how we, we you know, we are delivering on our four key tenets of World Tour are to connect, learn, have fun and give back. So we do redesign the event in many ways every year. We are four weeks out today from this year's event. And yeah, the floor plan doesn't look like last year. There will be things that that are similar because they are the core components. But the last thing I want is someone walking in the doors, door two at ICC Sydney, um, the same door they went in last year and walking in and going, oh, yeah, back again. No, I need a, I need a wow moment. And it's not easy to do, but it it requires some thought and planning and um, effort. Mm-hmm. I think for the majority of guests as well, there is an element of safety in the same. I think some audiences do like being familiar with an event, but mm-hmm. as you say, we do need to change it up and keep it interesting and exciting for those that do want something new and different and the wow moments. So I think that's a great balance of let's keep the general format the same, but how can we change up things each year? Yeah, definitely. And you're right there. People are largely creatures of habit. If you try and push them too far, it can push them away. So I totally agree there. Safety and comfort um, is is a big one. They need to see those things like, oh, I need to go. I'm going to keynote. I'm going to breakouts. Not, oh, we've turned breakouts on their head and now it's like one-to-one conversations for everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, you can't push people too far outside their comfort zone. I think a lot of the virtual event platforms were interesting to experiment there around um, you know, networking and pushing people into breakout rooms for small conversations when they're like, I don't want to, I want to listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah so true. Um, I want to get a little practical with you now. So I'm curious to know what your go-to tools and software are for planning events. Obviously, as a software company, our own products <laughs> are, they really are a driving force in yep our event planning processes. So we we eat our own dog food, we drink our own champagne, whatever the terminology uh, everyone prefers. But we, we definitely do use our own tech to deliver on these programs. So Sales Cloud is our primary CRM tool. It is the product that we are very, very well known for. And that is where all of our customer data lives. That is where our demand generation plans are built deployed and and go back in so all registrations flow back into to sales cloud so we can monitor who's registering who hasn't our sales people can see which of their accounts are, are in or out marketing cloud another salesforce product is our marketing automation platform that deploys all of our demand generation emails so incredibly powerful tool tableau is our analytics platform we use that for our measurement pre, during, post-event, Tableau tells us how we are tracking. This ultimately is a a business-to-business event. It is around building pipeline, influencing our and delivering to our sales teams. And then we have Slack. So Mm -hmm. Slack is a collaboration tool. Some may use it, some may, may not. We, so Salesforce acquired Slack 
back in 2021 and it's materially changed the way we work internally and externally that's an important one so we do engage with our suppliers through slack if there's gamers listening in or parents of gamers as i am um, you probably know discord so slack is discord on steroids it is collaboration it is communication it is project management it is asset sharing all in one place it's amazing product so that's a huge part of my day-to-day then of course and i think everyone appreciate it this is all the spreadsheets the slides the documents there's a lot now a lot of them are templates we carry from year to year that that we've developed over time but there's a lot of a lot of those generated for an event and current current age ai this will be a massive theme for our event this year we have a number of products with ai embedded if you haven't started playing with ai sign up log into chat gpt grab a block of text one of your event invitations plug it in there and say make it shorter make it more formal make it longer the results are really really cool very very clever and i think we're going to see more ai in the event sector coming there's hesitation on it there's some people embracing it but we're not going to escape it so understanding a bit more i think is crucial and and chat gpt is an easy way to do that last but not least in terms of tools for planning events for me coffee total (laughs) go-to for um cannot cannot run events without it what's your go-to coffee um basically flat white or latte about three of them. <laughs> Depends I where I am, that. what I'm doing. I love uh, that. It's, yeah, it does help. It is crucial. And then sometimes on the day, an energy drink in addition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. For sure. Um, I wonder if there's anyone in the industry that you look up to, um, any companies that you sort of follow or people that are doing cool things that you like to kind of engage with. There's definitely a lot. So I like to look everywhere for inspiration both in the industry and outside in the industry um early in my career it was david grant so david grant was a phenomenal event producer he passed away in 2015 and he was a man who created true experiences in his company david grant special events he did legendary work on on an event called the contro ball and it broke all the rules of what an event could be, what a social event could be. I think they're lucky they didn't have um, Twitter, Insta, mobiles and all that sort of stuff back in the day because it was next level stuff. So David was great. I had a chance to work with him a few times and um, hugely inspiring. Then as my career progressed, there were quite a few in agencies I looked to, but a common thread for me was Salesforce. So I knew about Salesforce events. I started to hear bits and pieces. We're a we're now a 25-year-old company. Um, and I started hearing, and I was a Salesforce customer and a user for many years, so I'd see the event photos coming out. And that was what led me to really seek out this role. It was not something that was advertised. I was actively chasing down this role. On a global level, we run astounding experiences with values at the heart and that was a really big thing for me the products are awesome but i need to believe in the values and it is a core element of what we do then also industry um julius solaris is a 
uh, a blogger, an industry thought leader. He started eventmanagerblog.com. I followed that back in, I don't know what years that would have been, many years ago. Um, he's moved through a few different phases. Now he has an organization called Bold Push, which is his own product, and he publishes industry research and, and thought leadership. I have followed him for many, many years. Uh, we missed each other in San Francisco last year. He was in the airport as I was landing and we we didn't quite connect. But um, yeah, I look to him. I, I think the trends that he shares are made up of a lot of different sources that he has access to. He's US-based. Uh, I look at look to him. Then outside of events, streaming services. Mm. So streaming services, so your Netflix and your Spotify, they get to know you and serve up informed recommendations because they get to know you, what you like, some of the random music genres or, or videos end up in, in you know, suggested playlists that I would not have thought about otherwise. And I think about how, how you can apply that to an event experience, getting to know people. Um, next up is concerts. So gigs. I love music, always have many, many different genres. But when I go to a concert, I spend a fair bit of time looking at the lighting, looking at the control desk, looking at the screen content and how they're marrying that, that to what is on stage. I do enjoy the gigs. I'm very excited. I'm going to, I'm pretty sure I'm going to Taylor Swift. And not a not a massive, massive fan, which will kill a lot of Swifties out there. Um, but her It'll be an amazing event, though. They are phenomenal. She puts on a show. Yeah. And that, you know, being an entertainer, people like Bruno Mars, Robbie Williams, who deliver a show, they have the persona, is is something that I find astounding. Um, in another life, absolutely love to be a rock star. Uh, I have no talent. I also am an avid cook. So I'm the son of a caterer, been around great food my whole life, and I love cooking. And an amazing food experience takes you on a journey. So food is a really powerful tool for events. Again, does not have to be expensive but with some thought it becomes very very useful so think about that so great thank you so much um a difficult one maybe for you but if you could sum up all your years of experience into one piece of advice for people that plan business events what would you say it's a really difficult one so i i talked before about that reliability you know be curious um one really big thing to me is values so touched on that um values are really important to me and having them turn up in events is really really useful so i've talked about knowing your audience but we as a company for instance we have we have five company values like customer success trust customer success innovation equality and sustainability and i make it a mission that we turn up with those values in what we do no point putting mm -hmm. values on on a mission statement on a company website if you don't live and breathe those values. So that is one that I think is is important, staying true to yourself, true to your values, and and turning up day by day with those in mind. And it it can be your values and the company values, but um, that's that's that one. Stay calm. So summing up all that experience. The worst thing you can do, whether that is with your executives looking to you to 
to steer the ship. Um, your attendees looking to you as the person in control. The worst thing you can do is be frazzled. Mm. You can do that at the back in your production office, but calm face, calm demeanour, calm decisions are really, really important in events. So it takes practice. I do get asked quite a lot how how is it I am so calm where there's 10,000 people in the house. A lot of practice is um, is the secret there. But planning, if you've got your plans in place, there is no need to panic. Things can be getting hairy with you know, electrical storm on the horizon and an expensive piano and expensive talent, but <laughs> you have your plans. You have your risk management. You have your... Um, your contingency scenarios and you put them into place that's that's one so be calm and in most instances we're not conducting brain surgery we're running events yep no one's gonna die and i've actually had my fair share of heart attacks um and and other medical incidents at events but no one has died we are not saving lives we are running events so keep that in mind there will be issues, there will be mistakes, there will be potential disasters, and that it that's all it is. It's a mistake. So don't weigh yourself down too much. If something does stuff up in some way, that's okay. Um, if you have, you know, if someone's shouting at you, okay, that's going to happen. Things are stressful. People are not their best in that scenario. But it is... Um, it is a fantastic industry, whether that is creating one dinner here and there through to working in an event-specific role. There are so many pathways, so many experiences you can create, and I love it. It keeps every day fresh. Never know quite what's going to pop up today. And um, it can take you amazing places. So whether that's in your city, for me, I've been all around the world. In, in my job again not all of it glamorous by any stretch um i have done periods of significant amounts of travel in previous roles and no it's not all fun and it's not up the pointy end of the plane <laughs> but i have seen some amazing things i've managed to engage with some amazing places and people through this industry and it is an industry and it's an industry that has come back very, very well post-COVID. I think past year or so, yes, economy has been challenging, budgets, travel restrictions, all those things have been a challenge. But the power of events, whether that is business events, whether that is purely social events, cannot be underestimated. When you put people in a room together, magic can happen. Bring them together online in the hybrid world has its place. Don't be scared of, of hybrid and virtual. It is a development that, for me, should not go away. We learned a lot during that era where we didn't have a choice. I'm very, very strongly uh, an advocate for not forgetting that and not going straight back to purely in-person. So World Tour, we broadcast our keynote a show pre and post that's online for audiences who can't be there for whatever reason. One of those reasons 
may be accessibility. And this is something that plays into our equality value. We run an accessible event. So we think about removing the barriers, whether that is closed captioning in Auslan, my entire expo is flat floor. So anyone who is in a wheelchair can get to every corner of, of our, our show. We have sensory zones, we have quiet room, uh, we gather those accessibility requests, but that still may not be enough for someone who cannot turn up. So let's turn up to them online. On our website, we have a full accessibility guide, so screen reader friendly. It's that that is one that really for me is a is a key passion is making sure that it's accessible and you've thought about it and you don't have a situation where you run and again scale comes into it run a dinner for 10 people and then arrive at the restaurant realize there's two steps to the private dining room and you have someone with a mobility challenge so yeah accessibility uh, is a really really high priority for me and we have been doing things um, this way for almost the entire time I've been at the company, not because we have to. And in, in the US, there there's the Americans Disability Act, and they have to do things. In this country, we don't essentially have to do it. We do it, but I do it because it's the right thing to do. Mm. And that's that's coming back to that values alignment I mentioned before. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that you've talked about the values and that can be a great place to start when you're designing your event as well is is what are those things that you want to come through every element of your event. And I think what I love there as well is, you know, sometimes events can feel really overwhelming or like this big thing that we have to do, but um, it can be really fun and really creative and you can have fun with it. So if you are someone that's tasked with um, planning business events, then I hope that you'll take some inspiration from this and get creative with it. Make sure you give yourself the time and the space to think about how you could do it a little different to others. And um, when is your world tour so we can stalk all the photos? It is four weeks away, so 28th of February, and um, it is huge. We have the entirety of the ICC exhibition building. We have a good chunk of the convention building, 10,000 people, 144 sessions in one day. So we run theatres, we run breakouts, we run the main keynote, um, 61 sponsors. Uh, there's lots of stats. There's lots going on there. If you are, and we do have a small business zone, so if you are a small business looking at the looking at CRM solutions, come along, Google World Tour Sydney 2024, Salesforce World Tour Sydney, and um, and come along. And yeah, if you are, by all means, reach out to me. LinkedIn's probably the best one, or email sfrank at salesforce.com. Let me know, and and we should be able to connect at some point during the day. Awesome! Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. It's been a total pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Events Insider podcast. If you loved it, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, share with your friends, and I'll chat to you next week. Bye.